And then, yeah, that. There you go. So I can hit that. Well, 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 thank you guys for sticking around for our Q&A. This is a part two of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast on premarital sex. Uh, yeah, give it up. Come on. Woo! Let him. Give it up. Give it up. <laughs> so um, if anybody is tuning in just now, basically to summarize our last, we basically said it was wrong. Yeah, and you should never do it. Don't do it. Ever. And if you do, you, you're shamed you for that. Shame. Yeah, shame. lots of shame. Lots of shame for that. Yeah. So how does this work? We got a we got a micro we got a microphone that's yeah, gonna go a, around, right? There's a microphone floating around. So raise your hand if you have a question. It, if, if it's about the topic, that's great. If it's not, it can be about preferably something kind of related to the stuff we talk about. Like, you know, if it's motorcycle repair or you know, something about your lawnmower doesn't work, I can't we probably couldn't help you. But if it's something about theology or the book, the Bible or Christianity or just any of the kind of stuff we talk about, that's great too. Fashion, if you want to talk about fashion. You know, I can talk about movies. I know a lot about movies. (laughs) Yeah. Or politics. I'd be glad to take any political questions. No, I don't want to talk about that. So anyway, raise your hand if you have a question and we'll, oh, thank you. And then we'll bring you the microphone because you, by the way, we should also warn you. If you ask a question right now, you are going to be on the next podcast and people will hear you talking and asking questions. So be so careful. Yes. Cool. You're, you're going to be part of history here. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> All right. This question is for Jamal, but if you guys uh, would say something too, because Jamal said something and uh, and you guys have never like commented on it or been uh, uh, really said anything about it, but you've said the death is not real. <laughs> And I'm 55 now, and it seems real. <laughs> seems and real. closer, and time is freaking flying. Yeah. And uh, and Jesus said stuff about death that, and, yes. and I once went to South Africa to a long time ago to a guy who believed in immortality and preached it, and it died of cancer, nasty freaking <laughs> death. So. You know, I just want to, if you could unpack that, because uh, uh, I'm kind of, I don't know what I think about it now, but sure. I'm still, but to be quite honest with you, it still sends shivers down my back. I don't want to die. Sure. sure. I feel like this is where the action is Yeah. on earth, <laughs> and I want to stay here. Yes. So, uh, but if you could uh, talk about that and yes. what We're you mean by that. Death, so you know. like, What's that? We're not encouraging death. Just so right, you know, right, that's right. not the... Yeah. Right. So, and then if you guys could comment on it, what your thoughts are when he yeah. says that, and because I'm curious. Yeah, I think maybe you're, you're referencing... I think we did a live podcast show maybe a little over a year ago, and it was... I think I mentioned that there is no afterlife. That was like our first one. Was our first one? I, I, th- first I think one. people were like, what? There's no afterlife. And let me... I want to... Yeah, I, I don't believe in an afterlife, and let me tell you why I don't, but that doesn't mean I believe in death either. So... What I mean by that is that I honestly believe that the eternal, I'm a fan of eternal life. And by eternal life, Jesus talked about eternal life. He said that this is eternal life. And he, and he brought it back to a present tense use of the, the language was this is eternal life knowing, which is a state of being. I am isness. That's not a real word, but is isness. I am knowing God in the incarnation also the one who he sent, which is at the time talking about 
him and now is talking about us. So is this idea of like if a present tense reality. So I um I got fascinated. I went through a real dark time in my life a few years ago. And I, I wanted to die. I like lost hope for a living. And I remember like really feeling directed in my spirit to to start looking into experiences that people have had. They call them NDEs, near-death experiences, people that have died clinically. And there's more now than ever before in recorded history because of medical technology to resuscitate people. Lots of people have had NDEs where they have, and there's people that have written books about it. A lot of people in the medical field uh, have a lot of stories to tell about this, but people have literally died and came back to life and they talk about it, their experiences of it. And one of the things that they talk about, and this is blows my mind, is they said, it's not real, guys. It's not real at all. Um, and the, the reason they, they say death is not real is they said it's real for the people that are experiencing watching somebody they love go through the process. But the people who actually die, they said what struck them was they recognized that they had, their, they had left their body, but they were like, it's still me and I'm still here and I still have consciousness and being and nothing changed. <laughs> In that sense. Now, they had other experiences for sure. But I mean, what I mean by this is that it's always now. They, 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 what they experienced was this present tense reality of now. So if you ask somebody what time it is, it's always now. Like right now, can you, you can feel your own being right now in your body. You can feel it. We're here right now. And that's the way it's always going to be. Even when you transcend your body. You know, our bodies. So... People have said that, you know, people call out-of-body experiences extraordinary, but I heard somebody else say recently that, no, what's extraordinary is an in-body experience. Like, how does it get in there? Because if you, if you turn on a radio or turn on a TV, you know, if you turn on a radio and you hear music, there's no orchestra inside that radio. You sure? It's an illusion. Really? <laughs> it's, it's an illusion. If you watch TV... People aren't inside that box. If you no, have no, a flat no. screen TV, yeah, they are. there's no people were. inside there. It is a device that is created to give you, to give expression to the music, to give expression to this, what you're seeing on the screen, but it's nobody's in there in that sense. Our bodies are the very similar way. So where are you? You are not actually technically in your body. Your body is a machine <laughs> that is, your body is a machine that's created to give your presence expression in space and time but you are seated somewhere else and of course even the bible the writers of scripture were alluding to this i don't think they fully probably comprehended this but you know it says that we were seated in the heavenly places now where is that it's where's the music when you turn on the radio where's that music what's well, not in that box. box it's everywhere omnipresent which is our true state as well. We are sourced in the divine. We are manifestations of the divine. So where is God? Where, wherever we are. And where are we? Where God is. And where is God? Everywhere. So when you, we are, but then our bodies exist to give us space, to give us expression in space and time so that we can have relationship. That's why we exist. But we are not limited to our body. If you ever see somebody who's died and you look at their, their, their body, you recognize they are not there, but they are. They always will be. So that if you've lost people who you love, they still are. They just yeah, I, 
I, yeah, I like that you're saying that. I think I think it comes like if you want to be like scientific about it, it's like, well, where does consciousness come from? And some people speculate that it comes from like our brain, like creates the consciousness. I just I don't believe that, and I'm not like a scientist by any means, <laughs> not by any means. But it seems that more like our consciousness is the building block of this what we call material world. And so, well, well, where, where is your, if you point to yourself, where's my consciousness? Like I, I, I can point here, but I don't think that's quite accurate. Right. I, I mean, I, you know, so it's, it's almost like, I, I like, I like your analogy. I've also heard the analogy of like a TV, like you, you're conscious, the TV feed comes through the TV, yeah. but it doesn't come from the TV. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And you know, some doctors actually, I've heard a doctor recently say that the, they're learning, they're realizing that the brain is not the creator of consciousness, but a filter of consciousness. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's really, but your, our consciousness is not, is not local. Yeah. I'd say it's non-local. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. I think, I, I think that our physical body, which would include the brain, mm -hmm. um, again, it doesn't create consciousness. It's something that filters it. There's, there, there's been several, so there's two things. There's a philosophical, isn't it? If you're into philosophy and I am, there's a, there's a whole philosophical discussion of who are, what makes us us. Who are we? Are we physical bodies like sort of machines that are put together? And uh, But we know we're not, right? Because I could go and get a bunch of cadavers and I could get a skeleton and a body and a brain and some eyes and some ears and some lungs and some hearts and some intestines. And I could put all them together and connect them all. And so I'm going to get a surgeon who's the best in the world and connect them all up and get those little paddles. Boom. And that guy is not ever coming back to life again because he's we're not the physical parts. That's not the philosophy part. But the, the philosophy <laughs> argu argument is asking the question is, again, are we just physical or are, are we something else? Like there's that famous quote, you know, we are not um, physical beings having spiritual experiences. We are spiritual beings right. having temporary physical experiences. Yeah. And I agree with that. And I think that um, there's also been some really interesting studies that I just read recently about people that have had really severe brain damage. And again, if the brain is your consciousness, right, then that should cease. But it doesn't because there's people that they've found ways to communicate with them and they're they're still in there. Right. Mm -hmm. But the mechanism is sort of the thing, the brain, which is the, the sort of the me mechanism that makes it easier to express consciousness is broken in some way. Mm -hmm. But they are still in there. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just the communication piece is broken. Um, so yeah, I, I think we are, we are spiritual beings. We, um, uh, you know, again, I hate to quote this Bible thing, but, um, it's not real. It's not real. But Paul, <laughs> you think, for those who think it might be, um, you know, Paul talks about how to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Right. Mm. Um, and so I, but here's the other thing, again, problematic, I think about scripture is I really don't think the scripture says a whole lot about this whole afterlife thing. I Probably mean, not. we think it, yeah. uh, people have, will point to things and say, see, that's what happens after you die. Most of those verses have nothing to do about what happens after you die. Um, but the ones that do are really just sort of like the one about Paul, like to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. What does that mean? I don't know. I think a lot of it, a lot of it's vague, but yes, it points to vague. something hopeful. Yeah. I think that's the yes. point is that mm -hmm. at least the way I interpret it, there's something hopeful. I don't know what that means or what it looks like, but it's hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. So do we have any, we got to have more questions because question? we got some time. Yeah. Oh, I want to get back to sex. <laughs> oh boy. Please, please. Do. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. No, my question um, is in regards to sex and when we choose, you know, our 
our spouse or the person that we're going to have sex with for the rest of our life. Um, if we choose to break that and then we move on, um, you talked about the shame and guilt earlier. Like if we move on, is it, do you think it's our something in our being or, or is it society's pressures that, you know, we should have only been with one person or do you think it's really in our spirit that we should have been and stayed with that person um, because we chose to become one sexually? I freaking love that question. That is a great question. I can't believe no one else is. What's wrong with you people? I got no one else asked that question. That was a really good question. Um, well, uh, is that the beer, beer, beers, Bibles, and Bros podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got it. We got someone crashing, crashing this podcast. Another yeah. podcast. Everyone's got. Who doesn't have who a podcast? Doesn't have a podcast? Raise your hand. You don't have a podcast. Like three people here don't have a podcast. Um, well, I just want to say there, there's a lot to that question, but when you were asking the question, that the first thing that popped into my mind was, um, again, this whole idea of divorce is it's sort of the within the Christian church, it's like this red badge, not red badge, so it's a scarlet letter, right? It's this, it's it's almost this unforgivable sin. If you were married and had a divorce, well, you're done. It certainly disqualifies you from the pastorate for any kind of uh, ministry. You can't be a deacon because you're not the husband of one wife. And usually <clears throat> the verse, one of the verses that's quite often quoted to sort of justify this treatment of people who have had divorces, well, Jesus said that the only criteria the only valid reason for you to have a divorce, it's not that the person is visual, is verbally abusive to you and makes you terrified for your life. Well, are they sleeping around on you? Oh, then you can't divorce them. It's not, Jesus didn't mention that. So it's only, it's only if they, there's been some physical break in the covenant, right? Adultery or something like that, or some sexual, you know, um, sexual sin, then you, you have permission. But if not, then you're not allowed to divorce them. But the problem is Jesus wasn't saying that as, as sort of this, here's the rule for you to divorce people. We have to, again, context. In the, the whole thing that's going on there is the Pharisees are asking Jesus, trying to trick him, a question about marriage and divorce, right? And then his whole point of this is to say to a male-dominated patriarchal society, to the men standing in front of him, what he was saying to them was, you know what? You guys have to stop just divorcing women anytime you feel like it for any reason you want because they had that power and women did not have power to divorce husbands. That's mosaic. That was included yes. in the mosaic law. That, part of the mosaic law. Yeah. And so he's saying, you know what? That isn't cool because that practice and policy of just tossing women away because, I'll, hey, this one's cuter. I want this one over here. See ya. And now this woman is going to beg for the rest of her life, right? She is going to be begging for bread for the rest of her life. And no other man's going to marry her, right? So it's a, it was this abusive thing that was happening. They were using this rule, this mosaic rule, to just toss women aside. And, it, and Jesus is, is concerned about that. He's saying, stop treating women this way. And, and you, even more, you want a, even more of a clue of what's going on in that passage. Jesus then says, you know, gives this rule that you can't do that. And the disciples' response, not the Pharisees, the disciples' response is, Jesus, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying that a man can't just divorce his wife anytime he wants? Then why get married at all? They freak out. What? <laughs> why even get married if I can't do that? Like, they that's good, their they reaction a, they, to they it. They made right? a good point, right? <laughs> right? Right. That was a joke. Everyone calm yeah. down. Send your complaints, too. So, so, again, I think we, unfortunately, the church has used that passage to, to unfortunately, keep women sometimes in 
uh, marriages that are really abusive and really horrible because, oh, they didn't do the magic thing. They didn't have sexual, you know, sin. And so you've got to stay there in this, in this relationship. And I think that's totally Keith, screwed up. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess I wasn't focused enough on my question. I'm sorry. That's the question I wanted to answer. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Please, President. Uh, please. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Please, please ask, ask a question. <laughs> I, I guess the it's the the nature that we have going into other relationships where we take baggage right. into that um, relationship, and and we carry shame and guilt with us into that relationship, especially sexually, because it's so intimate. Yeah, and and so it's not about divorce it's about having another relationship and has god created us to be one with one forever and 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 if and if so is it possible that when we go into another relationship we go into it damaged and it mm -hmm. it's difficult to have that intimacy if we had just been with one person. Well, I, I hear where you're at. That's a great question. And is that socially pressure? Is it um, social pressure or is it actually biblical? I, well, I don't, I don't think the Bible is real, but I will say <laughs> I, I get your question. So the thing is, the thing is, are you affected? Not. I understand, you know, people will say, okay, this is a biblical principle that you have one wife and if you screw that one up, you're just, or one husband or one spouse, you screw that one up, then you're done. And I, I, I don't subscribe to that at all. Um, I do think you're affected. So, you know, someone can say, okay, the Bible says one, one spouse and that's it for you. And if you screw that up, you're done. You know, your life is over pretty much. <laughs> and so then, and therefore, therefore, and the reason for that is because when you unite yourself sexually with one person, then you're like, that's going to create like a bond that's unbreakable. And you take that into another, I think that's what your question is. You take that into another relationship. And is that you're, there's no way to unbreak that. Um, I think anecdotally, if anecdotally, um, if that was true, then nobody could ever have successful second marriages, but there's plenty of people that have, been married, get divorced, and then get married again, and they have beautiful, amazing relationships. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. Come on, yeah. you can clap. And that's good. I do, but I, I hear your heart in the question. And the heart is, hey, is that hard? Yeah, it is. It When you are sexually intimate with a person, you are uniting with them. There is, there is an energy, I believe, energy exchange and you have emotional bonds and attachments and all of that. And again, when you move, when you go out of that relationship, so for example, divorce, people talk about divorce and they say, well, you know, you're divorced when you get served the papers. Really? Do you think there's something, just like there's nothing magic about the papers being signed when you get married that makes you married? Is there something magic that happens when you sign the divorce papers and now you're divorced? People get divorced long before the papers. It's because it's a state of being. It's a state, a quality, a state of being. But if you have experienced a state where in which this relationship breaks down and it's over, and then you have a renewal experience and now you're moving into a new relationship, you have to work through stuff because all of us are affected by all of the experiences we've had in our life. 
So if we had a previous relationship, a previous, if we were married before or an intimate relationship, like I, I have stuff I'm working through from, I had a girl broke my heart when I was in the sixth grade. Seriously. And she was in the eighth grade. I was in the sixth grade. I'm still working through stuff. <laughs> like I'm still like, it comes to mind and I'm like triggering stuff and I'm like processing stuff. And I, would, I didn't even have sex with her. So it's like, it's traumatizing, but it's like, we're working through stuff. Yes, we're affected, but, but we, our best days are always ahead of us. And we are, I believe that. And I believe that we are literally every moment is new. We don't have to repeat the past. If we can break those patterns, every moment is possibly for, we have a new lease on life, literally every moment and every day. Yeah. So. And I wouldn't, I, w- I don't know if I would necessarily distinguish our baggage from post, from prior sexual encounters with someone or a marriage or whatever than just our baggage. Like the biggest issues I have are daddy issues and my dad not being there. He's like, the, you know, he's not listening to the show. So, but he wasn't, he wasn't there for me. So I have those, I carry that baggage into my day to day. And that means, you know, parenting, it means my relationship with my wife sexually and just the day to day. Anyway, I mean, just. Even prior to this podcast, I'm sure I'm sure my issues and my baggage from like not having a father who was there is is probably present when I don't even notice it. And so I don't know. For me, it's like I don't know if I would be able to distinguish any sexual baggage I had from anything. I haven't been married before, but at least my experience is that like baggage is baggage, whether it comes from a first marriage or the way it affects you. Or whether it comes from, you know, trauma in your home life or growing up or whatever. So it's, I just think like whatever relationships we choose to be involved in, romantic and otherwise, like the best relationships are the ones where you can bring baggage vulnerably, not face fear and condemnation and judgment, and then move forward from there. I don't, I don't think you're set back in some sort of like, in some way that you can never transcend if you've been in your first marriage and now you're second, or you've been with multiple sexual partners. I don't think you're ever behind the eight ball that much where you can't then have a successful relationship. Yeah. I I think though, um, it's a, again, really good question and I'll try to answer it for real. Uh, I hope, and let me know if I don't, but I, but what I hear, um, the, the, the question about, um, when you have a marriage, there is a bond there. And we haven't talked about this much yet, um, but even physiologically, right, chemically, uh, when, there is, when, when there is a sexual union, um, there, are, there are physical, chemical, psychological bonds created every time you uh, have sex. Things that endorphins and chemicals released in your brain, um, things that you are uh, you're reinforcing in that relationship, and and every time you have that intimacy, physical intimacy with this other person, you're reinforcing, 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 strengthening and strengthening and strengthening this bond, this this connection, this dependency, this um, you know a oneness with this other person, uh, kind of a yin yang thing, right? Where I need you and you need me, and we depend on each other, and it's even beyond sex. But the sex is a huge part of creating that bond, right? So this, the, the whole concept of saying that, you know, the two become one flesh, it's not just because the Bible says so. It's that the Bible is saying something that is just physically true. It's just the truth that when we have these physical relationships, we are creating psychologically, emotionally, even physically, chemically connection with another person. And because that bond is so powerful and so strong, when that bond is broken, 
whether that person dies or whether there's just an end of the relationship, it doesn't just go away, right? You've still got these connectors in your brain, in your body, even chemically, where you miss this person in every possible way, right? And then, yes, it's going to feel weird and, yes, maybe even wrong to you some way. Um, again, only because it's you're a human being, right? Not because God said or it's a sin or some, and we can think that way. We can say, oh, this, I feel this feeling. I feel this oddness, weirdness, strangeness because it's a sin. It's wrong. It's God trying to, I mean, maybe, but probably not. Probably it's just we're misinterpreting these, these bonds now that when now we're connecting with a different person, it's different. It's not even just not that other person. It's different, right? And then how do we process that? What do we do about that? And so I think it's mostly a physiological human struggle and problem, not as much even as much as we would want it to be, not always something necessarily spiritual. If if the spiritual part is causing the sort of like uh, guilt and, you know what I mean, that kind of a thing, um, unless you have reasons to be guilty, I don't know. But uh, you know what I'm saying? It's sort of like there's just something that's, that's created in that union that when it's broken, it will feel weird and wrong and strange to reconnect with someone else in a different way. So in the same way. Yeah. Do we have another question? Yeah. I have a question actually for you. Um, So I I grew up in the church household and the message that was always passed to me is if you do anything before marriage, going to burn in hell, that kind of Mm -hmm. lovely rhetoric. (laughs) Um, And then as I've gotten older, I'm still single. But I've had the opportunity to just kind of do life with a lot of friends who've gotten married. And then I've also watched the relationships of my parents and, and family members who've gotten married. And there still seems to be a bit of a, a disconnect between, um, I guess, where they feel like God empowers them in the relationship to have sex, where the boundaries are versus the, the junk and the taboos they carried with them when they were single. So I'm just wondering, is there is there really a boundary? Is there really a line when you're married? Are you still free to explore together or are you battling mm. through stuff? And is that is that something that God put in you to say, well, that, that's kind of the line. You can't go there. Or is that just simply something that's man-made to, to construct? Are you talking about like 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 sexual things themselves? Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of the idea that that um, when I'm with someone, whatever we're into together or one of us is bold enough to try that we can have that conversation, mm-hmm. explore that route. Is that is that is that accurate or is or is there something there? Like if one person's like, uh, I don't know, I, I don't think yeah. God says we should do that. Yeah, I, I think uh, it goes back to what it's back to what we were saying in the previous episode. It has to be a conversation between those two people. And for whatever reason, if one of those people in that relationship says, I'm not cool with that, then we're not doing that. You know what I'm saying? Now, maybe there could be a conversation about, well, why are you not cool with that? Yeah. Right? And maybe they need to unpack some stuff. But uh, the line in that marriage, for me, I think the line in the marriage about those kinds of things sexually is the line is where you together draw that line. Not where, well, now I'm the man, we're doing this, or I, you know, I want this and I don't care what you want. Like, that's not a good marriage. There should be a, the marriage should, you should both care very much about what the other person wants. Yeah. Right? I think, I think you'd balance the tension of two things. Like, I, I would definitely say, like, all relationships are dynamic. So there's not like a do this, don't do right. that. Do this sexually, don't do that. It's, it's, it's about the dynamic of the relationship. 
But then, then the tension is that, well, if there's no's to a lot of things sexually, well, let's unpack that. Why is that there? Because it's taboo or the church told you that right. this is dirty, this is clean, this is sacred, this is secular. We like to do that in the religious world to, to divide between right. this, du- you know, this dualism. So there's, you know, pastors may say, like, once you get married, you can have at it, do whatever you want. But really... It's, it's, it's not that simple because you've instilled in them a, this is dirty, this is clean sort of view. And then you can't just flip the switch. It's just not reality. Um, so I, I, I would not put anything as taboo sexually with what you do with a partner, a spouse, whatever. Um, it's more about, well, what are you into and what are you open to exploring and having that dynamic relationship within, within the relationship, you know, like what's good for one relationship might not be good for another relationship. Right. And um, I, I'm just more personally open to not saying like this, this should be forbidden in, in a, you know, a non-coercive relationship. I would never want to put those constraints on someone. What I'm into or what my wife's into, I would never want to project onto another relationship and put, well, you, you should... Yeah, you can do that, but you probably shouldn't because that's dirty. Like, I, I just don't split things up like that. I don't know. Yeah. I think communication is probably pretty, pretty huge. I think uh, there's just a lot of humans carry a lot of shame in general. Just shame about being alive. Just ex- existence. Se- our sexuality, I really believe, the reason sex, sex is such a big deal is because um, – it, you're getting into the root system of our of our identity. It's like if you understand chakras, and it's like so, like getting into that root system, base root of your being, and so your sexual energy is so tied into that that if you feel shameful about yourself, that se- your sexual life is going to mirror that in it that basic belief system. So if you fe- if so, sex has a lot of shame. In it connotated to it. And then our experiences, our religious background, um, the way our parents, you know, our culture or whatever it is that help us conditioned us. So then, so I think one of the ways to combat that is to bring it out in the open. So whatever you bring into the light is, I feel like is a good principle. So just getting out on the table and say, okay, look, I have, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody say, Hey, look, we're, let's talk about our sexuality. Let's talk about what we're feeling. Let's talk about what actually we, we, what are the things that we think about in our mind? We all have sexual thoughts. So let's talk about this. If you're in an intimate relationship with somebody, you should be able to talk about that with them. Mm-hmm. You should be able to talk yeah. about it and say, hey, look, this is how we're feeling sexually and this is what we're thinking. So as you talk about it and explore and then people find what's comfortable for them and then you follow that and you can follow your heart and trust. It can actually lead you to some beautiful connectivity. I think I think a big there's a big thing about like do not judge when Jesus says that, but a lot of faith traditions say that, and I don't think that just I don't think that just means do not be judgmental, like don't condemn other people. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of judging we do that we don't even think of. You know, if we if we think of some taboo sexual act, it's like don't necessarily judge that. You can say, hey, yeah, that sounds different to me, or that's not something I'm into, but don't judge the person who is. It's not. If, if something's like uh, not normalized within culture, it doesn't mean that someone's wrong or bad if they have a minority thing that they're into. Like you don't have to be into something and you can still not judge the person who is. Yeah, that's huge. And I think that's important too. Like if someone's into the, well, we say are the weirdest things, 
Well, don't judge them, like because we all have our things that yeah. we probably don't like to share. Yeah, <laughs> and then well, and then like, this the, this is the bigger thing, um, which I'm really glad we're we're talking about this because especially when you're in a relationship and you're in an intimate relationship, you know, in, in your marriage or you know you're having so much of it. I think especially in the beginning of that relationship, you know, when you first get married or you first begin this relationship, this committed relationship with another person. Um, when it comes to sexuality, I think there's a there needs to be there should be um, a whole lot more of that dialogue and that conversation about sex, about asking all those kinds of questions and really listening to one another, um, which seems so unsexy, right? You don't watch <laughs> movies and, then, and there's a movie where like, for for 45 minutes they're just sitting there talking to each other about sex, but you you should and you uh, if you want to have down the road much better sex. Um, that is much more fulfilling to both of you. That's only going to, I believe, it's only going to come from spending in the beginning, especially a whole lot of time being comfortable with one another, that you can talk about those things, right? What do you like? What do you not like? What, what do you, this makes you uncomfortable, but why? And having all those conversations and caring so much more about that other person than you care about yourself selfishly, right? That I get my stuff out of this. And no, it's about the other person really, ultimately, and making sure that they're comfortable, they're healthy, this is something that's great for them, and what can I do, right? But it needs to be a reciprocal thing. But th that's only going to happen. There's a whole lot of, you know, discussion and very honest conversation about that. Yeah. We got, we got someone else with a question? Microphone? Oh, Sorry. Sorry. Microphone. Microphone. Check. I'll be fast. Anybody who's holding the microphone? I'll be fast. Right there. Um, I... Just had two thoughts that I don't know how to formulate an exact question, but I'm curious what you think about them. Um, one was what, um, I'm sorry, I don't know the person's name to ask a question earlier about like bringing baggage from like past marriage or something. Um, what if anyone else in the room is crazy like me and has been married before, but has like God gifted no memory almost of that past relationship in that light. So you can completely release all that. And then something else comes and it can become new and it can become that oneness like you're talking about. So there isn't this like, oh, I have this in the back of my head anymore. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And another thought is I've talked to a lot of women in their like late twenties, early thirties that are married and they have made People, women I know that make comments like, I'm doing this because I feel like I'm supposed to do it because mm -hmm. the Bible tells me that's respecting my husband. And I don't really want to have the sex I'm having, mm -hmm. but I feel like I'm sh I should. What do you do with that? Mm -hmm. Three good. men at a table. <laughs> good. That is a good one. I, right. You listen to Michelle's podcast. She'll well, answer the I think, I think we should. Good. Oh, well, well yeah. I think we should, in this case, listen to the Bible. <laughs> no, I would think this is a case where you should not listen to the Bible. Well, because so, because that uh, it sounds okay. No, I was just gonna say like the the first question like that's amazing that if you've if you've been able to let go of things, mm -hmm. I yeah. think that's a big part of letting go God of the ego, you. not living in the past or the present, living truly in the moment, and not attaching ourselves to what's happened in the past or what we think should happen in the future. And I think that's a very Buddhist way to live. But yeah. that, I mean, that's very. Um, <laughs> damn you! Yeah. That's he yeah. is. He's on his game tonight. Um, 
The second question, yeah, let's let three men tell tell you about yeah. that. Um, well, I, I have something on that just because yeah, I, go for it's it, um, well to me though that's a red flag like that if if someone's in a in a marriage and and one of the people in that marriage and usually unfortunately it is the woman. Uh, is saying basically, oh, the Bible tells me I'm basically supposed to be his sex slave and do whatever he tells me to do, and I'm just, I have no will of my own, right? That's, you're using the Bible wrong. <laughs> That's not the way it should be. Um, so if someone's saying that, I think that there's a huge problem going on there, right? And usually it is something that I, it's, I feel bad even admitting this, but I didn't even realize that this was an issue until a friend of mine wrote a book about uh, patriarchy in the church. And, um, and he sent it to me and asked me to you know read it. And I'm reading it and I'm like, and it's so condemning, you know, this patriarchal system in the church where men are the boss of the home and women and, and the daughters are just subservient and they just have to do, and it's really extreme. And I'm reading it and, you know, he's condemning it. And I'm going, well, duh, of course. I'm like, but uh, so he asked me what I thought of the book. And I said, well, it's really great, but it's like, who, who's this book for? Like, is, is this something real for people? Like, I'm, I'm admitting to you how stupid I am. They're like, oh, no, this is so real. And, and it's a very, very, very strong reality for a lot of women. In, unfortunately, especially in Christian uh, marriages, where the woman is still treated like she's, she's that daughter in the Old Testament who's property, that, you know, she's mine and I can do what I want with her. Uh, that's, I would say, this is one of these examples of something, unfortunately, but you need to, I, I would I would encourage you to have your radar out for things like this. It happens a lot. There's a difference between something that's biblical and something that's Christ-like. Yeah. That isn't Christ-like. Yeah. And uh, when you hear those kinds of things, just go, nope. Yeah. Here, here's what I, here's, here's a thought that comes to mind, uh, specifically, um, Forget, I'm not really coming from what the Bible, I mean, I, I, again, I'll say like, I don't think anybody should do anything because the Bible says to do it. I don't think anybody should do anything. Nobody should do anything because you should do it. The energy it takes to do an action based on obligation and duty is very low energy and is not sustainable. It actually takes away from your life. So if you're doing something out of guilt or should, it's not love. So if in, and forget about the Bible for a second, in any relationship, people, <laughs> people's you. sex drives are not people when they get in a relationship, their sex drives aren't like in sync, hundred percent, 24, seven, seven days, you know, it, people's sex drive ebbs and flows. So some one, one partner may have a high sex drive one day and the other partners has a low and it, this is normal, natural life. Yeah. So if, if, for example, but again, you have to make it work in a relationship. Again, this is why communication is really important frequency, how often, you know, you're mm -hmm. thinking. So no, it's not about duty or God says, or I should. It's like, hey, I, I know personally for me, I want to do things that are good for my partner. Right. I want to serve my partner. I want to do things that are good. I also have needs as well. So we want to be open and communicate those things. And so if somebody's not feeling like having sex, that's okay. So what do you do? That's okay. You accept that. That's okay. But let's talk about it. Let's not just shove it under the rug or force it. Because, hey, you just do it because that's what you're supposed to do. It's an opportunity to discover what's going on in here. Where's your, where's the other person at? What's happening? Come, it's an opportunity for understanding and then like making some discoveries. And a lot of times it's an opportunity for actual, that actually can unlock a lack of sexual desire in a relationship. It can actually unlock that because you're discovering, you're talking about it, and now you're connecting again, which can lead to intimacy. But it's an opportunity. So again, nobody should force something 
But no one should also ignore it either. Right. It should be an opportunity for conversation to go there. Yeah, your question brings up a couple of thoughts for me. Um, well, I'm writing a book with Danielle Kingstrom, who's doing podcasts with Michelle. And, and I'm, I'm also doing, and we're talking about intimacy and marriage and sexuality and things like that. And so I'm reading a lot of things about that. And I think one of the myths is that women desire sex less and that's a biological thing. I think, um, for the most part, from what I've understood, and I'm, <clears throat> this is just what I've understood is that it's not necessarily a biological thing. It's more of an, a, a culturally, um, a culturally, uh, uh, I guess it's influencing people's minds from a cultural standpoint, not necessarily a biological standpoint. And so I think that's important. And we just, we've told women that they're supposed to tolerate sex. And that's just, that's bullshit. Like, I mean, that's just, that's, that, and that's what Danielle would argue. And she's writing some amazing things in, in our book, in our chapter on sexuality. And, and so that's one thing to, to remember is that I think a lot of things that we take as assumptions are not necessarily physiological or bi biological assumptions. They're like, they're influenced by culture. And, and I think we've told women a lot of bullshit things. Um, the second thing that your question reminds me of is that this is just the approach I take. There's this um, Greek word, kenosis, and it's the self-emptying um, of one's own will or one's own desire for the sake of the other. And we use it like the Eastern Orthodox talk about it a lot theologically in relation to Jesus' relation to the Father. I like to think of sexuality or sex canonically from a kenosis standpoint. How can I, how can I serve the other person in the best way? And from my experience, uh, like that actually is the most self-fulfilling as well when we serve the other person. So if I'm ever in a relationship where, where someone is obligated to have sex with me, like if I ever feel my wife is feeling like I'm obligated to do this for you, I just am like, no, I'm not interested in that. And I think more men need to be, especially men need to have that, that type of mentality. It's like, how are you even attracted to, to the idea of having sex with someone who's obligated to do right. that? That's, that sounds yeah. fucking repulsive. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Don't ring me up for that. Come on. <laughs> Do we have, do we have, uh, we have another question? Yes. Question, bring it on. Absolutely. I have a question for Jamal. Okay. I'm Always curious Jamal. why you decided to stop having sex now that your wedding is in a couple of weeks. Why did we stop? Why, yeah, you were and now you decided to stop. That's a great question. You know, it's time to be a good Christian again. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, well, the Bible says you should, you know, honestly, it was just a, yeah. You know, I try, I try to have the practice of always just being present with my heart and what I'm feeling. And it was just actually, it was actually a thought that's been on my, it's kind of been in the back of my heart, back in my mind. And it just came out, the, you know, recently in a conversation uh, with, uh, with my uh, fiance. And um, when I said it, she said I had the same thought. And it just was like, yeah, okay. So now we're, this is the, we're, we have like discovered the, the will, so to speak, or the, what it just, it just felt like we could, we just sensed it. And it wasn't like, this is what God wants or doesn't want. It's like, this is actually what feels in our spirit just feels. Uh, and I think there's an idea of looking forward to 
this moment, um, you know, in a few weeks when we're, we're getting married and it was just a way to, um, it's kind of like, I, I think we do this with food. Okay. So we, we have this with fasting, you know, if eating's great, you know, there's no, <laughs> but there are like, if you know, you're like gonna, some people do this and like, okay, there's a big meal coming to Thanksgiving. So you're going to like really like kind of, you kind of back off the food a little bit because you want to really enjoy this moment. You enjoy the meal. And so it's, you agree to do that. Um, it's not out of obligation or forcing or anything like that, but it's just like a sensitivity. And I think that's kind of the way we're approaching it. I, I mean, she can speak for herself, but for me, like I'm not, the way I'm approaching it is it's kind of like, Oh, you know what? There's just, there's a, there's a specialness coming in, in a few weeks of this ceremony. And we really want to kind of like, kind of look forward to that. And I, and I, and I know that that argument is used and that reasoning is used for people who want to abstain until they're married. Sexual activity. I mean, I totally, if that's the way somebody feels, that's totally great. That's totally fine. Um, but yeah, we just kind of stumbled on that and then discovered that the other, both of us were actually thinking that. So we just, it was just divine revelation. Yeah. yeah. And the Bible says, and the Bible says, we got any more questions? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Look out. Here we go. Yeah, I was thinking earlier when we were talking about the premarital sex. Um, in my mind, um, part of it is uh, when I wasn't a Christian and I had, you know, was with somebody. Um, when I became a Christian later, I was told or I read, you know, like in the Old Testament, that when people had sex, that was marriage. There wasn't really a certificate, there wasn't, you know, the, the state. You know, like Abraham, you know, or they took them in their tent and then they were married. They just had one. So to me, so I started to think the sexual act was marriage. And then, um, then there was the thing that was, you know, this is all part of being a new Christian. And they tell you, oh yeah, well, you know, the woman at the well, you know, and she had five husbands. So I said, oh, well, I've had a lot of husbands, you know, you know, so I, I, I don't want to do it because, well, I was thinking that that was the marriage thing. So what I'm throwing this out right now is, is there a way to, I'm, I'm putting it out there because we're, maybe there's no such thing as premarital sex because sex is marriage. Yes. Okay. I don't so, know. I think so, that's the first time a, 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 a questioner has a question been has become yes. one of us, not one of us. Well, so unpack that, throw it away, you know, well, no, tear see, it apart, yeah. or validate it. I, I love that. No, it's a good question because like, this is what I was at the beginning of the of the previous podcast. Like the question of like what is marriage? Because, like you said, in 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 the Bible and in, in the ancient times. Um, the sexual act was that was the marriage you know you're married right which is why again don't do this before this arranged thing happens because it, you know mess it up for everybody um but then it's so then ask the, that question so are you married uh, for some people i think the danger of that is and i've seen this happen a lot i've seen that happen in both directions y you know Young people usually who uh, hormones are raging and they're really into each other and then they're feeling this temptation and then uh, they just, they had sex. And then it's like, well, we had sex. I guess we should just get married. Uh, those people aren't married anymore, right? Because they're, they should not have gotten married to this random person that they just had this, had this relationship with, right? That's a bad idea. Uh, I mean, I think it's a, it's not a good idea. Just, oh, well, we had sex. Well, you bet. Now you're going to have to get married. Um, not, not a good reason to get married. 
Um, but the other thing is the, we do it the opposite direction, right? Man, I'm so into this girl. Man, I just can't. I can't stop. I can't stop. Let's just get married so we can have sex. And that's also a bad reason to get married, right? Because now, okay, now we're married and now we've had sex. But then, you know, all that wears off. And it's like, man, what a jerk this guy is. Like, what have I done? So um, I think those, those, you're right about that. That, that, you know, in the ancient world, that was sort of like, there is no marriage ceremony. There is no someone signing a piece of paper. It was something like that. But I think we need to think about marriage uh, in a much different way, it's similar as we would talk about sex, right? We yeah. take it more seriously. Yeah, I do, I do think we have to think of marriage in a much different way. Because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, there was also instances where people would be married but they wouldn't have consummated the marriage yet. Yes, that happens too. And so they'd be married without having sex because it was more of a property It was an arrangement. You were going to be married, right? I I just think these things are not always the best to look at. Well, what does the Bible say? What did the Jewish people say? What does the New Testament Mm. say? It's like, they don't say one thing. And And I know Jamal always says the Bible isn't real, and I think that's kind of like a catchphrase now. But in one way, the Bible, the Bible as like a, a cohesive book is not real. And this is why I like, like Peter ends, does, he says, and he's a theologian, he says there's no contradictions in the Bible. Because when many t- different people are telling many different versions of stories and have many different interpretations, we don't call that a contradiction. Right, it's a conversation. We don't, we, yeah. be, it would be a contradiction if God wrote the, God wrote the Bible. Or if he like divinely downloaded some shit and that like uh, yeah. I'm writing this letter now, yeah. like if if that happened, yeah, there's a contradiction. Right. But He's that's not that's not reality. So yeah. there are no contradictions in that way. So it's like I guess on these topics, like a lot of times I don't look at what the Bible says unless it's like, well, what's the lens of love? What's the right. lens of? I think that's what we should be doing, not yeah, not biblical, but Christ like. Right. Yeah. Keith likes that phrase. I do love that. That's my T-shirt. <sighs> yeah. Cool. We have we have, we got more questions, more? right? We you got like we so got you know. we got like ten minutes left, so minutes. we got to bring us a question. Ten more questions. I'm nervous to ask mine. I don't know why, but I'm a little bit it's nervous okay. to ask it. But it's it's kind of regarding kids. So like, I'm a parent. I know you guys are. Um, so do you have any hopes or expectations or standards or whatever it is for your kids and their sexuality? And if so, how do you plan on communicating that? Like their hopes and because it's like you know you don't want to come off as a lot of us in here are progressive, like with our beliefs and stuff, like we don't want to come off as like super hardcore, but we also want to have some type of, of standard. I feel like, right. I mean, we don't want them just like, like, and so do you have some sort of standard or expectation? What is it? <laughs> and, and kind of like, how did you get to that point? Because I'm, I know I'm thinking about it right now. My daughter's only nine, but she's already starting to like you know, get like the stinky armpits and all that thing. So I'm like already starting to think about like the conversations and, you know, I have no idea because I've gone through my deconstruction. So many of my thoughts with my faith and the Bible have changed so much. So I definitely don't want to do what, what was done for me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, yeah, kind of like in that realm, like what do you guys think about all that? And, and also like what age is appropriate to start being sexually active? Boy, that's a lot. That, that's that's a lot. lot. That's like, two like, questions. Wait, that's two questions. We only got nine minutes, but holy know. shit. Um, can I go first? Because I, yes. I have an eight-year-old, so our and daughters daughter. are... I have a daughter. I have sons, and I think... Yeah, yeah. and they're a little older. Um, well, I haven't, I haven't quite approached this yet. My daughter's eight. I, I would hope that I would sort of like be a little nuanced in my approach. So I certainly wouldn't give my daughter the, um, you know, the shame 
fear-based religious stuff that many of us have have been given like like if she lost her virginity before she was married like somehow she's damaged goods or some toxic bullshit like that at the same time i would want her to value herself and not give her way herself away capriciously or flippantly and 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 if she did to have an irrational adult conversation and say and ask more questions than be condemning, you know, if, if she was, if she had that relationship with me or my wife, like, mm-hmm. Hey, I had, I had sex with this guy and maybe she's 13 or 14. That's still fairly young. I, th- I think in today's society, is it younger? Oh, Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm screwed. No. Um, and, and just to have a, you know, hopefully have a type of relationship with her and just to say, well, you know, what can you learn from this? What can you, you know, was it, was it beneficial to you? Did you find it's not beneficial to you? I mean, um, I would I would rather err on the side of being real with kids than being some sort of know-it-all who has all the answers and say, well, don't do this, do this. And um, yeah, I would, I would hope my daughter values her body and her sexuality and doesn't give it away flippantly. But if she does things that she eventually regrets, I would hope that I would have... Um, not have a condemning spirit and to help her work through things and be more of a um, guidance counselor than some sort of like judge, jury and executioner. Right. Yeah. Which I, would, I think can, it can be our default because we're parents and we have to have all the answers and we want to make sure we protect our kids and, and tell them what to do because we know best and um, we have to let that sort of go. That's what I'm learning. Yeah. And we can be guide. We can be guides and we can tell them what's worked for us and what hasn't, and what we've seen in the world, but we have to let them, some of our greatest, and this doesn't, wouldn't encourage regretful behavior, but some of our greatest learning experiences are when we fuck up. Um, thanks. Uh, you know. It's like Pavlov's dog. I think he need every few seconds, you need that little the, the bell to go off. Yeah. I like to yeah. I like to cuss. I you know, know, I have um well I'm I'm a dad. I have a 25-year-old daughter. And when she was young, when she was a teenager, you know, I my standard approach uh to her was I was a pastor, you know. So this is what the Bible says and this is what you do and that didn't work very well. Um because that led to suppression, like suppression. So I think um and also, she didn't know who she was as identity because in the Christian world, we don't teach people what who they are. Christian, no, we do. Sinners. Well, yeah. <laughs> Christianity Worms. educates people that there's something wrong with you. You're a sinner. And that that belief in, in the fact that you are de- depraved goods, that actually leads to a lot of perversion sexually, I believe. That, that, that initial – you wouldn't see the connection, but there's a, there's a deep connection. So my solution now – okay, so – if I were to do this over again and have children again, it would be really heavy on helping them, just drilling into them their goodness, their purity, their 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 godlikeness from day one. Like just really drilling that in so that they have this identity of like, you are a living miracle. You are a walking miracle. You are made in the image of God and you're going to make mistakes. And that's totally fine because you're discovering. And by the way, your sexuality is a gift. And when you that starts to blossom and bloom, stay real present with it and just kind of help her approach sexuality from a place of not shoving it away, not ignoring it, not, not talking about it, but staying present with it. And, you know, so that she can start to actually be at home with her sexuality and her body and and um 
And again, trusting so that she can trust her own journey in that, her own heart in that. And um, it, it's not easy. You know, it's not this thing, this, you know, we're sexual beings, but that didn't, that doesn't awaken, that doesn't awaken all at once. And we don't come into the world with that, you know, awake. So it, it's a process of awakening to that and then becoming comfortable with that. You got to let people have their journey and all that. But I think if you can drill at home who you are, you are the Christ, you are the manifestation of God on the earth, and you can trust your heart and you're going to make mistakes. And that's totally fine. Just drill yep. that into them. It'll be fine. Yeah. I, I, I would just say my boys are here tonight and uh, they're in their 20s. Yeah, sure. Give them a, give them a round of applause. Round. Sure. Um, and so I, going to your, when you were asking your question, I, the first thing that popped in my head is, uh, and boys, I hope you know this. I hope I have made this very clear to you. But if I haven't, I'm going to do it in public right now. My <laughs> boys don't have to live up to any kind of any of my standards. They're, that's not their job. I, I hope you, they know that, that they have not, they, I'm not expecting them to do something that lines up with dad has these rules and dad has these standards and dad wants this to happen. What I, the only standard, at least, you know, as far as do, don't, right, wrong, it's more of like uh, the, the only standard that I want them to have is I want them to be good people. I want them to be respectful. I want them to be kind. I want them to be servants. I want them to care about other people enough to put the needs of others ahead of the, uh, their own. Um, and that if they make mistakes, to understand we all make mistakes and, you know, and, and they're still loved and accepted just as much, if not more, than before. Uh, and so, um, yeah, and, again, and I hope, again, that they know that. It, it, it's not something where I don't want to create any sort of fear or standard or rule that they've got to follow. It's more about, I think, and, and by the way, I think they do, they are this way. Like I, I look at my sons and I'm very proud of them. And I, and I see how smart they are, how wise they are. They are very kind. They are very generous and giving and thoughtful. And, uh, and they're both very aware of, uh, like we've said, like, hey, if I did, uh, if I was in a relationship with someone and there, and there was this uh, pull towards the relationship, there are all these consequences, right? Like, Children and 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 uh, sexually transmitted diseases and uh, and uh, and all these kind of things that are going to happen, right? If I if this happens, um, but they are also they also know they can talk to us about it, right? And that we're not going to be we're not going to reject them because they've failed us or in some way. Um, and at least again, I, I hope they know that because that's that's our heart. But what Wendy and I have tried to do is um, just do our best to model for them what a loving marriage and relationship looks like. And my hope would be that they would see that and, and say, ah, that's what I want. You know what I mean? I want a marriage like that. I want a relationship like that with my wife or my, you know, my, my spouse. And, um, and what else can I do? Like beyond that, I don't think a parent really can do much. And I think if you lay down these laws and rules and you're, you know, you're this tough kind of person, it's, it's actually going to backfire. You know, I don't think it's going to actually create the result that you want. Um, so I think it's more about raising people to, to raising your children to be the best people they can be, and then trusting them to be that, and giving them permission to be that. Um, so I think what helps as a parent, especially, is that you realize, like, and this goes to many disciplines, like science, theology, whatever you're studying. Like, you stand on the shoulders of other people, yeah. and so it's like my goal, like, if I can, if I can fuck my daughter up a lot less than my dad fucked me up. Like, and then she, and then she, you know what I mean? Like, like we make progress and we learn from our mistakes and we learn from our intergenerational mistakes. Like, yeah. and, and so like maybe if she has kids down the road, if that's the route she takes, like, 
She'd be like, oh, my parents, you know, they came from their time and place and they had a little, my this dad was this and that. I know, I know. We've got like 30 seconds left, so. But this is good. This is good. This was yeah. really good. Thank you for your questions. Yeah. This has been Thank awesome. You yeah. Thank you. Yes.